and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. It's good to have you here this morning. If you guys want to find your way back to a seat, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 9, uh, looking at verses 1 through 12, and the, uh, the fifth of the trumpet judgments that happen as we go through the book of Revelation. Uh, before we do that, there are a few things I want to share with you, and I've forgotten what they are because I didn't put them in my notes. Um, but Tyler, what, or, or Josh, what's the first slide? There you go. The, the picnic and baptism at Nevada Beach, that's actually next Sunday. Um, so after this service, we're going to try and have a 60-minute service next week so we can get out of here a little bit early and head up to the lake for that picnic and baptism. Um, sandwiches are provided, but if you bring a side or a dessert or something like that, that would be really, really good. And uh, it should be a fun day at the lake. Uh, I've been meeting with the people that are getting baptized and hearing their stories. And uh, there's going to be 15, 20 people or so that are, that are getting baptized. It's going to be a really fun day of, um, of being involved in that and just kind of see people make their commitments. And uh, it's been really fun to hear everyone's story. I'll share more about that in just a minute. But uh, the other thing that is coming up is a new Connections Lunch. And so if you're newer to the church or maybe you just haven't made it to one of these before, um, we're having a new Connections Lunch, and I, my eyes aren't that good. Sunday, September 25th is the date on that, and so that would be after this service. And so what we'll do with that, um, there's a sign-up sheet at the info table back there, and what we'll do is we'll have lunch together. We'll share a little bit about uh, the history of the church, where the church believes we're going, the vision of the church, and then kind of share who leadership is and ministry roles and different things that you could potentially be involved in as well. And then we also do a Q&A if you have any questions. So that's coming up. Um, as I was sharing with you, I, I've been able to kind of meet with people this past week. And if, you, if you're on that list of folks that are being baptized and I haven't got to you yet, it's going to happen this week. So don't, 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 don't get mad at me. Um, but uh, I've been reaching out to the different folks that are getting baptized. And I've had the opportunity to hear people's stories. Um, and one of the really cool things that uh, has been kind of a consistent in those stories is how God has um, protected uh, directed and corrected people in their lives. So he's, he's offered them protection and he's been looking after them and he's given them direction and brought people into their lives that shared truth and uh, brought love into their life, followers of Jesus that have done that. And then uh, there have been times where people have experienced God's correction where he said, no, that's not quite right, but instead I'm going to show you a different way. And, and everybody kind of shared that, that story of God's involvement in their life. And is, isn't that an amazing thing that each and every one of us here this morning, God has been involved in all of our lives. Um, he's been, not, not just like corporately, but individually, like he's been involved in our lives. Like he, he cares about us, right? And so that's been one of the cool things. Sorry, I didn't plan on getting emotional. That's one of the cool things that I've got to hear um, from people. And, and it reminded me, you know, of uh, maybe the time in my life where... Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 says that the, the fool despises wisdom and correction, um, and uh, particularly of God. And, and so I, I know that I live that in my life, that those times that I lived opposed to God and His direction as a fool. Um, and yet He loved me anyway. Uh, he, he pursued me anyway. And he's, just, he's been there, right? And I think if we look back at our own lives, we can see that God has, has done that for us. 
uh, as individuals. He's brought people into our lives and maybe situations that have uh, corrected us. And then uh, it's just an amazing thing that he's capable of. Uh, he, he can do things that nobody else can. Uh, that's been one of the other things that's just amazed me as I've heard people's stories is uh, I just several times I've thought I could never save anyone. Um, but God can. Um, you know, you look at your own life, and I, like I couldn't save myself. And then as I hear people's stories and what they've been through, I, I couldn't save them either. Um, and yet God has. And I just think that's so amazing. And as we, as we look at this, this passage here in Revelation chapter 9, I wonder if you can spot the times where God protected you or corrected you or gave you direction. Even before you believed in him. You think back in in the time of your life where you hadn't even placed faith in Jesus yet, but you look back and you can see how he was caring for you. And you can see how he was directing you. And the the times in your life where maybe you needed a little bit of a a nudge and he corrected you. Um, I think that's pretty amazing that he's involved in our lives in that way. Now, as we look at this passage in Revelation chapter 9, we're going to see that God is actually, he's going to do something that... um, It's actually probably one of the harshest things God could do in this judgment. And what he's going to do is he's going to let people run away from him. He's going to let them go. He's going to let them worship the false gods, which all the false gods have a demonic being behind them. He's going to let them worship their own rebellion against him. And he's going to give them over to the the satanic spiritual beings that they've actually been worshiping. And I would say that that's probably actually God's, one of his sternest forms of judgment is to say, I'm letting you go. And I'm not going to pursue you. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to kind of let you go after what you're, what you're after. And, and, and that's what we see in this passage. In your handout, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 there, there's more in this chapter. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Matthew chapter 24, um, there's a handful of passages that give us really good context of what's going on uh, within the book of Revelation. And this one says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And that word mystery, when you see it in your Bible, it doesn't mean like a Scooby-Doo mystery where they unmask somebody. Um, It's like something that hadn't yet been revealed and that was beyond human comprehension, but God is going to make it known. Okay, And so the, the gospel was a mystery, how God would save us, how the Messiah would come to us. That was something that they had an idea, but they really couldn't get a hold of it until Jesus did it. And so he's saying that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. That's very vague. But what you get in this is that God's Holy Spirit is actually restraining lawlessness in me, in you, and in the world around us. But there's going to come a point where he says he's going to stop doing that. He's going to get out of the way, and the lawless one, Satan or the Antichrist, will be revealed. And then it says the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. And so these events that we're seeing in Revelation are actually things that are preceding Jesus' second coming. And so as, as, as Jesus' second coming is something that we wait for, we wait for him to return as the, the king of the universe. He came as a suffering servant, but he's going to return as the king of the universe. Um, one of the things that happens before that takes place is people are handed over to uh, the false gods that they worship. And that's what this trumpet is announcing. It's actually announcing a time when God says, go for it. Um, And it's a very stern form of judgment where he says, I'm going to let you 
go after the things that are destroying you. I'm actually going to let what destroys you have its way in your life. Um, and so it's a very serious judgment, but I also want us to see as we go through this what Christ has done for us so that we don't have to experience this. So let me pray, and we'll look at this together. Lord Jesus, this morning I want my words to be your words. Holy Spirit, I want you to speak clearly through me. I want to get out of your way and let your word speak to us. I don't want to get caught up in things that could cause contention or division or confusion, but instead I want us to see what's really clear here, God. And it's that when, when we're given over, when we're given over, over to the idols of our lives, it destroys us. Um, and so, God, I, I thank you that you haven't done that. I thank you that you haven't given me over to the things that would destroy me, but instead you've rescued me. It is a fearful time that people will experience when this fifth trumpet is blown. And so I pray that you would uh, drive in each and every one of us a desire to share the peace that we can have with you through what your son Jesus has done. And I pray that if we are not experiencing that peace, we are not saved this morning, that we would see our need and respond. And I also pray, God, that if there are those here this morning that they're kind of lost in life, they're searching, searching, they're wondering what they're supposed to be doing with their lives, and they're seeking you, uh, God, that they would feel very comfortable doing that here. That this would be a place where people can come and experience your love through your people, and that those of us who are in you would grab on to this mission that you've given us of seeking and saving those who are hurting without you. And bring your grace and your peace into their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've seen the first four trumpets in chapter 8. And in each of those, something catastrophic happens that would affect the economic systems of the world. Something catastrophic happens that would affect the uh, ability of people to have the common things that you and I take for granted. Um, food production is... is, is uh, something that gets affected, uh, the environment, all these different things are happening. And what it's doing is it's bringing people to a place where they go, where's my trust? What do I put my hope in? Who is my master? Who leads me? And then what we're going to see is that who leads them is truly revealed to them with this fifth trumpet. And so in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key... For the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came up out of it, out of the shaft, like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. So as you look at this, the star that is falling, if you were to look at Job chapter 38 and a handful of other places, you could see that the star is something that's emblematic of an intelligent creature, some, something or someone that God has uh, created. In this case, Satan is this created being. So there is, uh, Satan was, was an angel, the highest of the angels, and he's not God's equal. Don't get the wrong picture here. Uh, it's not like th that it's like good and evil, the yin and yang, and they're equal in some sense. God is far greater than Satan. Satan is a created being. Um, but this created being rebelled against God. It wasn't enough for him to be one of the highest created beings. He wanted to be God for himself. 
And so he falls away from God and he actually enters into the earth and the story of Adam and Eve within the Garden of Eden is actually the story of Satan showing up in the form of a serpent and deceiving people that they could be their own gods, that they could determine for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And people fall into this. They actually, we join Satan's fall. We join his rebellion. And so here in this case, he, he falls from heaven to earth. Um, and if you look at your hand out there, there's, there's three falls that Satan went through. The first was at creation where he was sentenced and lost his position in heaven. At mid-tribulation, he's actually cast down out of heaven. And that's what we see here, the star falling. He loses access to heaven as we saw in like, if you've ever read the book of Job, Satan actually goes to God and says, can I do this and can I do that? And your servant Job actually isn't who you think he is. And God says, I'll give you permission to test him to put him through some trials. And so he actually loses this position uh, where he's able to access God and talk to him. Uh, we see this further explained in Revelation chapter 12. And then we also see that at the end of the tribulation period, he's bound for a thousand years. Um, and so you have the fall during creation where he's sentenced and he loses his position as one of God's representatives. And now he actually fights against God, rebels against God. At the mid-tribulation, during the seven-year period, he loses his place within heaven. And at the end of that seven-year period, the thousand-year reign of Christ, um, he, he is, he's bound. Now, I'm offering you one point of view of theology on that. As I've shared as we've gone through this, there are other views, and I'm not here to, like, definitely we want to focus on the right thing, but uh, that's kind of the view that I'm offering you. And then at the end of the millennial period, uh, the third fall of Satan is he's cast into the lake of fire. He's judged and condemned along with all angelic and human beings who followed him and remained in his rebellion. So you have these three falls. The other thing that's really important here is that Satan is a real spiritual being. He's not, he's not just like an idea or a substitute for evil, but he's an actual created being. God made him as an angelic being, um, one of the highest angelic beings that he created. It wasn't enough for him. He fights against God. He rebels against God, and he drew humanity into this rebellion that exists. Now, if you ask people, uh, even within the Christian uh, church, many people would say that Satan is not a real, real spiritual being. Uh, I think if you read the scriptures seriously, it's very obvious that he is. He's a created being that fights against God, deceives us, and his goal, as we're going to see one of his names, is to bring destruction, particularly on us. So he falls from heaven to earth, and then he's given keys to the shaft of the abyss. And the shaft of the abyss is a place where demonic beings are being held. And so as we got into the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus was given the keys to death in Hades. He also holds the key to the abyss where these demonic beings are being held. And he gives this key to Satan, and Satan unleashes this group of demonic beings during this time. It says that smoke came up out of the shaft like Smoke from a great furnace. When you read the book of Revelation, words, the word like or the word as are really clear indicators that he's not being literal. He's saying, this is what I saw, and it was kind of like this. Okay, And so this is definitely something that's it's a, it's a metaphor. It's trying to paint a picture for us of what happens at this point in time. And it says that they came out and it produced smoke like from a great furnace so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the shaft. And so what this is teaching us here within this is that when these beings are released, that there's a time where truth and what is right and light are darkened. Uh, they're not things that we're able to see clearly anymore. Now, this is something that happens now, right? So, like, there are 
uh, demonic beings that exist now. And there's a war between angelic forces that goes on now. And actually the war is between a group of individuals, created beings that would fight against God and draw us towards destruction. And then there's also angelic beings that are on God's side and they're trying to bring us light and truth, ultimately revealing to us who Jesus is, right? That's what the messengers of the scriptures, the angelic beings do is they show us the character of God and they point us to Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection and the life that we can have in him. And so there's this angelic conflict that's going on and it's going on around us right now. And there are actually, I don't maybe you've actually experienced this where truth becomes something that's hard for you to grab onto. You actually find that it's, it's hard to grab what's right and what's wrong. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're things that are used in order to bring destruction on us. Uh, and so our minds become darkened and we can't perceive what's spiritually true and we actually need God to enlighten things for us. We need his word to show us what what truth is. We need his church and his people to walk into our lives and show us what love is and walk it out among us. And so we're in this place of darkness and then somebody or someone from the other side enters in with this light and it shows us what's true. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're struggling with darkness right now. You can't find, like I want, you want to know what truth is, but you can't seem to grab it. The light switch just isn't in, you can't find it. I'm so glad you're here if that's you, because I want to share with you the truth. I want to share with you the light that God has entered into your life. He, He cares about you. But this time during the tribulation is a time where that kind of deception will be overwhelming, unprecedented. So then he describes what these beings are to do. In verse 3, Then locusts came out of the smoke of the earth, and power was given to them like power, like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have God's seal on their foreheads. And we saw that in Revelation chapter 7, the people that God has marked out as his own with the seal. It's actually something that you see in Ezekiel chapter 9 as well, that God marks out with a seal some sort of indication that those are his people during the siege of Jerusalem. And so this is something that we see kind of repetition with within the scriptures, that God protects those who are his own. They were not permitted to kill the people that were not sealed on the forehead, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. And so as this oppression and this lack of truth and light and revelation from God overtakes people, they enter into a place of serious depression, of serious torment. Uh, as, as, as God becomes further and further away from them and their eyes become more and more darkened to truth, they don't actually find life. They, they find darkness and despair. And in this darkness and despair, they're saying, God, if I could kill myself, I would, but it seems to escape them. They're depressed to the point where they'd be willing to take their own lives. They're tormented is the picture that's being drawn out here. And that's where we are without God. If you're honest with yourself, the times that you spend without him, the times that you spend in darkness, they don't bring the fulfillment that you're looking for. They actually bring a sense of despair. And and, and that's where we find ourselves when we're fearful, when we're anxious, when we're depressed. These are things that, uh, uh, there's, there's many things that can happen, but in those situations, it's so hard to get your eyes on God. Even the truth that you know, it's so hard to see it. 
And what he's talking about here is a time where that will just be overwhelming. Um, as you look at these, these locusts, there's, there's a bunch of viewpoints that have been offered on it. There's four on your handout. There's probably another 400 of them that commentators have come up with. Um, it just it goes and it goes. But some of the viewpoints, they look at it as literal insects. So they say, like, this happened with uh, Egypt and the plagues, and so maybe it's the exact same thing. Uh, demonic beings, which I think is the most uh, sensible of them. Some people look at this and the description in the coming verses, and they say that sounds like modern war helicopters. Um, within the time that John was living, uh, it, it matched pretty well to a representation of Parthian archers, which is modern-day Iran. One of the viewpoints that people have is that the, the conflict between uh, Abraham's sons, uh, Ishmael, the Ishmaelites then end up living in this land, and there will be a time where satanic Forces will actually drive them to move against God and his, his people. That's another viewpoint that exists. Um, uh, one of the viewpoints that comes from that is actually a historical view that says that this has already taken place, these verses that we're reading, particularly in the 7th century, as Muhammad led a group of people to do things that sound a lot like what's going on here. And so my point behind saying all of this is that um, there are many teachings on this, and a lot of them are sensible. Like people have done their research, they've looked at it, and they said, this actually sounds like this historical event, or this sounds like this thing that could be coming future. And so that's one of, the, one of the mysteries of prophecy, is that sometimes it's a little bit beyond our comprehension, and sometimes it could match several different events. And so people have done that. Whatever the case, these locusts, these, these beings, they torment people to a state of wishing for death that cannot be found. And so God's judgment here, it includes handing people over to the demonic beings that we worship unwittingly. Um, Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that behind every idol is actually a demonic being, so that when you worship money or you worship sex or you worship whatever, it's actually, that's not what you're worshiping. You're not actually giving your life to those things. You're actually giving yourself to a demonic being that's behind those things. And so in this situation, he says that he's going to give people away to those things, and it's going to result in serious oppression. And isn't, that's pretty interesting, right? Like the things that, that, we, that we look to for life. Um, when Satan steps into our lives and these lies step into our lives, he doesn't step in and say, come over here, I'd like to hit you. Like, come on over here, I'd love to destroy you. That's not what he does. He says, come on over here, I'd love for you to feel like you're going to get life from me. Come over here, I'd love for you to feel like if you had enough possessions, you'd be fulfilled. Come over here, I'd love for you to feel like if your definition of what's right and wrong was realized in your life, you'd be fulfilled. Right? And so he masquerades as an angel of light. He pretends that he has our best interests in mind, and he whispers these lies into our ears, either through uh, the world system that exists around us, or he speaks to the desires of our flesh and says, if you want to give in to the desires of your flesh and indulge that, then you'll feel great. And maybe you will for a minute, but long term, it's going to be bitter. And so that's what he does in our lives, is he whispers things that sound good, but the result of them is actually our destruction. And what's being told to us during this time is that these beings uh, will be something, and I think the best representation is demonic beings, that are doing this on an unprecedented level. And so with all the distractions and illusions of life stripped away, all that remains is the eye-opening and depressing reality that without God, we don't have life at all. And I can tell you, I remember when I got to that point where I was, I was doing the stuff. I was indulging the flesh. I was living the fool's lifestyle. And at the end of it, I actually felt depression to the point of like, I wonder if I could end this. 
Like, I, I don't know if, if this is what life is all that is cracked up to be, but there's got to be more. And I remember feeling that depression at about 19 or 20 years old and actually considering, like a couple times considering, I could end my life like this. Um, and, and it's a very depressing state, but it was a result of me walking away from God and pursuing the things that I thought would fulfill me, the lies that everybody else was going for. I thought those would bring me life. What they brought me was a serious state of depression. Maybe you've been there. But you know the great thing is that God had people in my life where he protected me and he corrected me and he directed me back to him. Maybe you know this. You know that darkness. You know that deep place. And you know that you, you saw your need and instead of pushing back against God and saying, I'm fine by myself, you said, God, I need you so much. Thank you. Maybe that's you today. But during this period within the tribulation, these beings are released and they're bringing this sense of depression, this sense of, they just have, we have no life at all. They're bringing this across the world. And then it describes what these things are, these locusts. In verse 7, it says, The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. The word like shows up, I think, eight times in these three verses. Uh, if, you, if you like marking up your Bible, just underline each time that it says like, because it's very clearly telling us, don't take this literal. It's like this. The appearance of locusts was like horses prepared for, va- for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. Their chests were like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that their tails, so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. And so, as I said before, this description has brought up many different ideas of what these things might be. I'm going to give you what I think is the best explanation, okay? So being like horses gives the picture of an invading army. It gives the picture of an invading army, this one being a spiritual army that is being unleashed to bring oppression on people. Having crowns like gold demonstrates pretended authority. It's not actual gold, but they have crowns like gold, and it's pretended authority. They come into your life, and they say, I have everything that you need. Just follow me, right? So they bring in this idea of pretended authority. Faces like men informs us that they're intelligent, I remember when we were looking at the living creatures that were around uh, the throne of God, there was a face like a lion, there was a face like an eagle, there was a face like a, a bull, and there was a face like a man, and the face like a man was a representation of intelligence. Hair like women lets us know that they are seductive. That's the idea here. There's a couple places where it talks about in, this, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, the hair of women being something, this representation of being seductive. Um, again, they don't come in and say, I would love to destroy you. They come in and they say, I would love for you to experience pleasure with me. It's seductive. Teeth like lions speaks to their ferocity and destructive nature towards others. So so they may come in and say that they have the best for you in mind, but they are here to destroy, okay? Chest like iron breastplates shows that they're not easily defeated. And so when we talk about the angelic conflict and we talk about demonic beings, you have to understand that if you're a human, which I'm assuming you are, We don't stand a chance against these beings by ourselves. 
God doesn't say, muster up the own, your own strength and take on these spiritual forces. But instead, we see passages where he talks about put on the armor of God and that he's going to give us everything that we need to stand firm and take ground. We're going to protect ourselves and move forward with his gospel, but not in our own strength, but with what he provides. Okay, So we recognize our need in this battle. Wings like the sound of many chariots pictures a vast number of them in an overwhelming force. There are so many that it is an overwhelming force. And then when it talks about stingers like scorpions, uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, look, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. So that's a really interesting statement. We see this. Jesus uses scorpions and snakes as representations of demonic forces. And in this passage here in Luke chapter 10, he says to his disciples that if they remain in him, they're going to actually have authority to trample these snakes and scorpions and the power of the enemy and nothing will harm them. So it's actually a statement of if you are in Christ, the spiritual battle exists. It's going on around you. And because you're in Christ, you have authority to tell demonic powers to get the heck out and they got to listen. Like, you have the authority, and Jesus has shed blood to say, you're a loser, actually. <laughs> like, I understand your power is greater than mine, but you lost. Because at the cross of Christ, he defeated you. He knocked your power right out of your hand, and you have no ability to overcome him. He's actually going to destroy you in the end, and so you have no power, no authority in my life. I'm not listening to you. I'm not following you. I'm not giving in to you. And instead, I trust Jesus. He's actually given you the authority to say that. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've been in a place of spiritual oppression. And you say, you know, based upon the shed blood of Jesus and what he's done for me, based upon his victory on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, you got to get out of my house. You have no power here. This residence is not yours. Take a hike. And in Jesus' name, they have to obey. And so you recognize that this is true for you. This is actually something that he's given us the ability to do. In verse 20, he says, of, of Luke chapter 10 there, he says, However, don't rejoice that the spirit, that the peer, don't rejoice that the spirit submits to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so the point there is it's not something where we go, look at what I did. It's constantly, look at what Christ has done. Look at the power that he has given me. And so this spiritual battle, it's present around us right now. You and I are part of it, even if you don't recognize that it's happening. If you are in Christ, then demonic forces have no authority or power over you. They can oppress you with tricks and deception, but they cannot take away your life in Christ or possess you. The spirit of Christ indwells you. There's no room for another spirit. If you're not in Christ, then you are susceptible to the worst that demonic forces can do. Um, you are susceptible to it the very worst that they could do, the horrible state of depression. You are susceptible to that. However, I want you to know that Jesus died to free you from the chains of spiritual bondage and give you new life and protection. He's done that for you. So there's absolutely no reason to go this alone. And so I just implore you to trust Jesus today. Because here's what I need you to understand about the God of the Bible. Most people view God as, maybe you reach a point where you say, I am a mess. We might actually get there. 
You might actually go, my life is a mess. Nothing around me is working. I'm actually feeling depressed. I have serious struggles. I have fear. I have anxiety. Nothing's going the way that I think it should. And you reach that point where you go, I am a mess. What most people do is they say, I'm going to work real hard and get back to God. I'm going to work so hard that I'll be acceptable to him. You know what that's going to do? It's going to knock you down even further. And here's the glory of the gospel, is that Jesus sees us in our mess, he sees us in that state, and he says, I'm coming to you. Christ enters into humanity. The God of the universe who created everything becomes a child, and he lives a sinless life, and he enters into our mess, and he understands our mess, he empathizes with us, he knows temptation, he's been through all the struggles, and he lived a sinless life, and then he goes to a cross, and he says, even though I am perfect, I'm going to take all of your junk to the cross, and I'm going to pay for it 100%. You're going to be completely free from that mess. I'm going to just get rid of all of it. I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to make you new. Just trust that his death on the cross is enough to, to, to deal with all of that. And not only that, he's going to raise from the dead. He says, not only am I going to pay for all of your mess and and the darkness that you're living in, but I'm going to bring you into light. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to cause you to live a brand new life. I don't expect you to be perfect, but I do expect you to trust me. And that's the message of the gospel. We all think in some way or another, I've got to just try so hard to get my way back to God. You know what you're doing at that point in time? You're making yourself your idol. You're saying, my strength, my power, my ability is sufficient to clean myself up and make me right with God. God says, no. It was never the point of any of this. The point of all of it was for you to see your need and for him to recognize that he's right there with you, but he's not going to leave you there. He's going to pull you out of it as we trust him. And so this spiritual battle is something that all of us encounter It's going to be unprecedented during the time of the tribulation, but it's something that we all encounter. So maybe you know this journey from darkness to light. Maybe you're walking it, you're growing. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just getting a chance to come and see and learn about who Jesus is. And you didn't know that. You thought, man, I thought Jesus was pretty ticked off. I thought he was over there with his arms crossed waiting for me to figure it out. He's not. He's not. And some of you were raised in environments where that's who you were taught who God is. You were taught that God was an angry rule keeper saying, figure it out and I'll be happy with you. He's not that. He's gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. He loves you. He wants to draw you out of that as you trust him. So maybe you're here and you're just coming and seeing that. Maybe that's like an epiphany because you thought God was pretty mad. But he's not. He loves you. Maybe you're hearing that and you go, well, gosh, what should I do with that? What should I do with that information? What we should do is we should repent and believe. We should repent from living on our own, in our mess, and saying, God, I trust you. I need you. I'm moving towards you. I'm going to follow you. And then, God, I want, as I follow you, I want you to make me a fisher of men. And I want you to help me see myself as a sent one who remembers my story in the mess and It was a mess, but I don't live there anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ, and so I want you to know about this. God draws you on this journey. But the other side of this spiritual battle, verse 11, it says that they had as their king the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek is Apollyon. Both of those words mean destroyer. The first woe had passed. There are still two more woes to come after this. 
And so this fifth trumpet, it announces a time and a place and a period where demonic oppression is at a totally new level. It's overwhelming. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, 20, uh, verse 21, At that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. That during this time of the tribulation, this oppression, it reaches totally different levels. And so this fifth trumpet, it announces the expansion of Satan's influence over fallen humanity. And I want you to get this. Perhaps the most catastrophic judgment of God is to give those who do not pursue him a lack of boundaries in doing so. Imagine you've got a kid, and, and your child has some good tendencies and it has some bad tendencies. Trust me, they do. Um, and when you see the bad tendencies, you say, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm going to let it go. The, the negative things that are going to destroy my child, I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to let them do it. I'm going to turn them loose. And, you know, here's a, here's, a nice new, uh, here's a nice new bouncy ball. Have a good time on the freeway, buddy. And in essence, that's what we do with ourselves spiritually when we turn ourselves over to, these dark, to this darkness. We are playing with the bouncy ball on the freeway. And destruction is just a matter of time. But Christ came and took us into a brand new situation. He protects us. He corrects us. He directs us in ways that we would never find on our own. And so we must ask ourselves, if God's worst judgment is our independence from him, then how great a gift is the cross of Christ? If the worst thing that God could do is say, have at it. How great a gift is the cross of Christ, his pursuit of us? If the harshest thing God could do is leave us to our own bidding, or worse, the bidding of Satan, then how great is his kindness in pursuing us to the point of the death of his own son on a cross? Do you see it? Do, do you see it? Do you feel it? You get God's love? I don't mean up here. Do you get God's love? You understand what he's done for you? The, the price that he paid, the love that he's shown? And so when you look at this, this judgment, you have to understand that, that what we have to do in situations like this is we have to revel in God's resolute and costly love towards us as we consider the alternative that we deserve. And so we praise God for something called mercy. And mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Instead of receiving the condemnation, instead of receiving the judgment, instead of receiving the death that we deserve, he withholds it. And then on his grace, he pours it out on his son. His, cross, his son goes to the cross and he takes it away. Raises us up even more to these new creations. Do you see what God is doing for you? Do you trust him? Father, we thank you for your great love, your great and costly love. We thank you for your resolute character. You were not going to be swayed. You were not going to be changed. You are just and you are loving. And because of that, you act. And the greatest action that you've given to us is the life of your son, Jesus. Jesus. 
the death of your son Jesus and his resurrection that defeated death and gives us new life and hope. I thank you that this, these judgments and these places of deep, dark depression are not places that you long for us to dwell, but instead you want us to, you want us to live safely within your arms, right within your hand and in your grasp. I pray that we wouldn't fight your hand, that we would trust it. And that day by day, bit by bit, you would draw us closer to a meaningful relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.